0: You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews... And you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy podcast. Have you ever wondered how to motivate your dog to do certain things or how to work through barriers in your training? Have you wondered how to keep obedience training fun and creative? When I remember the important people who got me started in dog obedience and gave me the motivation to continue training, I think about Ginger Kenyon. I was in my early 20s and just got a Sheltie puppy. I knew I wanted to teach basic skills and was referred to Ginger's class. She was one of several trainers who helped me learn the importance of keeping training fun with short sessions throughout the day. That was also known as kitchen training, where you catch the teachable moments when they happen. Ginger's career as a sixth grade school teacher gave her the gift to teach what could sometimes be boring basic obedience skills in a fun and entertaining way. This certainly made me return to class every week. During my talk with Ginger, we'll discuss how she first got started in dog training, how she used her classroom teaching skills to apply to her dog training, how she uses creativity to work through challenging dog training obstacles, and how she maintains her positive and upbeat demeanor over years of judging and competitions. Ginger, I'm looking forward to talking with you, and thank you for joining me for this episode.
2: Well, thank you, Allison, for having me. It should
1: be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Ginger, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you first got started training dogs.
2: Okay, I started in 1983, and uh, at the time I was teaching uh, sixth grade, sixth graders in St. Charles, Missouri, and I had two teenage children of my own, And i would had dogs my whole life. I had a Cocker Spaniel as a child, and my kids at the time had a mixed breed. And one day I just went to the grocery store to get groceries, came out of the store with my five bags of groceries, and there was a grocery cart with a little dog in it. It said, free puppy, free puppies. Well, there had been five, and there was one left. And I said, what kind of dog is that? It's so cute. And the lady said, it's a snoodle. It's a half poodle, half schnauzer. And I had the schnauzer, the lady had the schnauzer, and it was accidental breeding with a neighbor dog. And she was giving them away. Mm -hmm. Well, think of that dog today. A designer dog would cost thousands of dollars, right? Yeah, Yeah. well, it was free. So I put it in the cart with my five bags of groceries come home, and my husband said, we already have a dog. Why would we need another dog? I said, because it was cute. It was so (laughs) cute. Well, my kids didn't think it was cute. My husband didn't think it was so cute. And a year and a half later, I was the only one in the house that really cared for the dog because she was really bad. I mean, she wouldn't. <laughs> she could not be housebroken. When I took her for a walk, she would put the leash in her mouth. If I would go to my left, she would go to the right, growling at me. <laughs> Couldn't take her past the driveway. It was horrible. And I got a flyer in the mail from the YMCA. And this is where I met you, actually, at the YMCA training building. And it said something about obedience training. I didn't know there were schools for obedience training. I just thought dogs came trained. That's how much I knew. And lo and behold, it was across the street from where I live, half a block away huh. was this training school. So I called him, told him my problem. He says, oh, come on, come on, and we'll we'll solve those problems for you. I said, yeah, Right. So I went to the class, with a 12-week class, at that time it cost $25. Wow, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> and, <laughs> that was a deal, and I could walk there with my dog. And sure enough, after the 12 weeks, the dog was wonderful. He was like, you're talking about an animal whisperer, he was one. He was so good with dogs. So anyway, that got me started, and lo and behold, after the 12 weeks, he said, would you be one of my instructors, my assistants? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know anything about dog <laughs> training. He says, but you know how to teach.
1: Wow. He says, I
2: picked that up the first time I met you, you know how to teach. So I had told him I'd teach uh-huh. sixth graders. Teaching sixth graders is an art. <laughs> and he said, so I can teach you about the dog part of it, but I can't teach somebody how to teach. So he asked me to be his instructor, and I was his instructor for many years. And then I became one of Pat Caston's, who you had on earlier. Mm -hmm. I became one of her assistant instructors. After that, I started working at Weston Kennels and became the head instructor of my class. So I taught classes for over 30 years, and I just retired a year ago
1: in December from teaching
2: classes. So that's how I got started, long-winded answer.
1: And I'll tell you <laughs> I'll tell you Ginger. I remember, you know what you just said is it's hard to teach somebody how to teach. And it was a very innate skill that you had to be able to capture people's attention because some if you teach obedience, especially, you know, I was in my 20s and you taught a lot of younger kids also mm-hmm. and they don't have a long attention span. So it's really no, important to don't. keep them interested. And so and neither use... do
2: dogs. Dogs don't have long attention spans. Yeah, either.
1: that's true. And so mm-hmm. to teach us how to teach our dogs, which then we kind of work the same way with kids. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. since you were a sixth grade teacher, did you use any of your skills as a teacher to then train your dogs or what skills were those?
2: Mainly can compare trying to teach the people in my classes how to train their dogs. Because mm-hmm. I don't train their dogs. I teach them to do it. Mm-hmm. Teaching people whatever age you use some of the same teaching skills. And one of them is I don't say anything to to the group until I have their attention. Okay? And that's why I don't start teaching the dog anything until I have attention. So in that way, uh, having attention from the people in your class is really important before you ever start even saying anything. And in order to do that, and this is what I did with with my uh, students, my sixth-grade students, is I tried to make everything that I taught them, first of all, important to them. I tell them why you're learning this. It will be important. And also try to make it a fun thing. If I could make it into a game, I made it into a game. And they learned very well things were a game. And that's what I try to do with the dogs. And with the people mm-hmm. teaching their dogs, try to make it fun, try to make it a game. And most of all, try to make it relevant to their life.
1: I remember one fun activity you told me about years ago, using scent articles and also playing the lassie Timmy in the well with the kids <laughs> at school. What was that? Do you want to explain that a little
2: bit? Oh, yes. I can tell you some of the things I did. We, My dogs and I, we did a lot of demos for schools and nursing homes. The nursing homes loved us. And they ask us back every single <laughs> month to do. And I did the same the same routine every month, but they wanted us back. So I'll just tell you some of the things that we did yeah. that, uh, were fun. Oh, I also did some birthday parties for just friends. I mean, and, uh-huh. you know, none of this was like I didn't charge for anything. We just did it because it was fun.
0: Uh-huh. But
2: I used to do some birthday parties for friends. And so I would put out those little lettered blocks, you know, you get for kids that have a the little, they're wooden, have a little letter on them. Yeah. And so if it was your birthday, I would spell out Allison, and then I would tell you to pick a letter that's not in the word Allison, and say say you pick the Z. So I would pick a Z and put it out there in the Allison. I'd, well, I'd let the let you go put it out there, and then I would tell my dog. I would say uh, Bradley, can you go fix that? They don't know how to spell here. You just go fix that. And Bradley <laughs> would go out to the word Allison and he'd get the Z and bring it back to me. And when I did this for first graders, I'd say, Do you think Bradley knows how to spell? And they'd or knows how to read? And they'd all say, Yeah, he's so smart. <laughs> and they didn't realize on the Allison letters I didn't touch them. On the Z letter, I touched it. And what he was doing was finding my
0: scent. Mm-hmm. But
2: oh I had those kids believe that he could read. <laughs> I'm sure I'm <laughs> And sure. the Timmy in the well, that was that was Bradley's signature. <laughs> so I would have him on the other side of a door, and he would start barking, and I'd open the door, and I would say, Lassie, what's wrong? What's wrong with you, Lassie? He would talk back to me, and he'd bark, and I'd say, did Timmy fall in that well again? And he would (laughs) bark, like, yes. And we just had this conversation back and forth, and and I said, well, you know, I'm really tired of Timmy falling in this well. I think if you want him back out, you can go get him. And I (laughs) had a little wishing well, a little wooden wishing well, about two feet high, and he would go get this little doll out of the well, and he would bring it to me. And sometimes he would put it in the bed, and <laughs> he could put it in the bed and cover him up, and and that would be our Timmy in the well routine. And everybody loved that one.
1: That was so. And I cute. think what
2: the the best part of it was the way we talked back and forth with each other.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I had and all I did was tap the side of my leg, and when I tapped the side, and very uh, you know, you, you could hardly notice it. I'd just tap the side of my leg, and when he did that, he would, when I did that, he would bark. So I would say <laughs> something, tap the side of my leg, he'd answer. And he would bark three times. <laughs> he would bark three times. So it was this conversation we'd have back and forth together. He was a very smart dog, and he could learn tricks so quickly.
1: And I remember some of those, um, you, you did that, Timmy, in the well for a lot of different parties, and every yes. time people just laughed and really enjoyed that.
2: Yes, he was funny just the way he did it. Just the talking back and forth was it, and he'd go get Timmy, and Timmy was a double amputee because he loved to play tug of war with Timmy, <laughs> and over times Timmy lost one of his arms and one of his legs. Oh no! So, and and I just said, you know, Timmy, if you keep falling that well, you're not going to have any limbs left. <laughs> you know, it just became part of the routine. But we used the same little doll for years. Bradley lived to be 13 years old, and Mm -hmm. so Timmy was probably around
1: about 12 of those years. Okay. (laughs) Bradley was so sweet. He was a very smart dog. Uh, One of the things that I remember from obedience training that I actually worked on with my niece and nephew when they were really small and they had their first puppy was clicker training. And I remember you teaching us how to do a high five in 10 minutes. It really only took me 10 minutes to teach those kids to teach their... Little puppy, how to do a high five, and then how uh-huh. to pray for their food. So yes. those are some fun ways to train dogs, right?
2: Yes, the clicker is a wonderful way. You can use a word like yes or some a marker word to teach tricks or to teach any the dog anything. Also, but the clicker, I really like it because it's it's the same sound all the time. There's no emotion behind it. Your voice can be different on different days or how you feel or whatever. The clicker's the same. And so when the dog does any kind of movement you want them to do, um, say raising their paw for a high five, and you click it as soon as they raise it, and then you give them a treat, they will be raising that paw to get that treat. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that they train dolphins at SeaWorld, and if you can train a dolphin with a clicker, you can train a dog with a clicker. So it's a great
1: way, great way to do it. Yeah, and I I wasn't really sold on it to begin with, but I really am sold on it now. And I remember you did an exercise in the obedience class where we each had to throw um, a tennis ball up in the air and then praise the dog when it hit, when it went as high as it could. And so we praised the dog, but when we did the clicker, it was so much faster. Yes,
2: it is so much faster, yes. Very much faster, and the the and if you start this with a puppy, if you get a puppy at eight weeks old, and I mean I, I get them used to the house for a couple of days, and the first thing I do is teach them the clicker, and all I do is click click the clicker, give them a treat. Just I do it like five times in a row, I do it maybe three day three times a day. By the third day, they know that when they hear that sound, of clicker, really tasty treats coming. Mm-hmm. So then I wait for them to do a behavior. And I can, say, lure them with my hand into a sit. As soon as their rear hits the ground, I click it, give them the treat, and pretty soon that dog's sitting all the time, just sitting, waiting for that clicker to go off. And then and then if they start offering these these behaviors, because I teach a lot of different behaviors to a puppy within a couple of weeks, and if they start offering the behavior and I didn't ask for it, they don't get clicked. So then they learn to wait for me to ask for the behavior and once they're doing the behavior you blurred them into it then you put the word to it and it's just a fun fun way to t- teach some things and you can teach a puppy so many so many
1: tricks so more of a positive way of training rather than waiting for them mm-hmm. to make a mistake and then do a yes. correction
2: and they can't make a mistake because you don't click until you, you they do what you want so they can do a lot of wrong stuff if you don't click it mm-hmm. oh well Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't what she wanted. Yeah, it's it's very positive. And you just pick up on, on certain behaviors. I ha- I had a friend one time that every morning when she got up, she sprayed her hair with hairspray. Well, her dog was in the bathroom with her every morning, and the hairspray made it sneeze. <laughs> and so she thought, I'm going to start clicking that sneeze. So she started clicking the sneeze, and she, she had it down where the dog was offering her a sneeze without <laughs> hairspray, without anything. So she says, well, I got to put a word to this. Let me think what the word's going to be, because you have to have them doing it before you put a word to it. And she'd say, do you have cold? And when she said, do you have cold, the dog would sneeze. Now that's (laughs) a good trick. (laughs) That's a very good trick. And it was a natural behavior. It wasn't something she had to get the dog to do. The dog was doing it on its own, you know, and she could have just, you know, let it go. But no, she made it into a really cute little trick.
1: Well, I remember I taught my dog how to pray or to stretch, actually, which was a really good warm up for agility or obedience before I actually Mm -hmm. did a performance by clicking it right when they got out of their kennel every morning because they got out of their kennel and they stretched. And so I started clicking that immediately, and that worked Uh really well.
2: Yes. Anything they get to. Well, one example is I had a little dog in class. We were teaching it to heal. It's a little poodle. And, you know, poodles, little circus dogs, mm-hmm. like, they do great circus tricks. So she had this dog. We were teaching him how to heal. And she came back the next week. And the little dog, while she was doing her healing little steps, she was doing the dog was on its back legs, jumping up and down beside her. She said, How do I make him quit doing this? I said, Oh my gosh, you don't. I said, You can teach your dog to heal, you can't teach a dog to do that. So I said, You start rewarding that and then after he gets the hang of doing this all the time, then you can teach him to heal. Because that was a harder thing to teach. So I mm-hmm. said, Do that first. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my classes sometimes were a bit strange. <laughs> but we got it we got it all done, but we also rewarded the things that were cute.
1: So so, in your puppy kindergarten class, Ginger, what do you think was really popular?
2: Oh, my gosh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but people loved that class, and I love teaching it. You told me you were going to ask me that, and it's like now I got to think of why that class was so popular. I have to think that a puppy class, you go to a puppy class, and if you've ever anybody's ever been to it, a puppy obedience class, and it's socialization. Um, The dogs learn to be around other people, other dogs. They learn just some really basic kind of commands and just to be out in the public, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you go to a novice class, and that gets hard. It's really some hard things that the dogs had to do in that class. They had to learn to heal, learn to heal off a leash, learn to sit stay with you clear across the room. I mean, really, the magnitude between the two classes was just huge Mm -hmm. and i thought there needs to be something in between here and that's when i came up with the curriculum for this puppy kindergarten class which was just a train like a transition Mm -hmm. between the two and i did a lot of um, proofing in that class or you you teach them to do little small recalls coming to you and then yeah we could get the dog to come to us it was fine but then what if you put uh a little kid eating potato chips between you and the dog. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not so easy anymore. So we would just show the dog that, no, you don't go to the the little kid eating the potato chips. You come straight to to your owner. And we just put in some little proofing things and some fun things. We did a lot of games in the class and just some fun things. And And I liked for the people, like at the beginning of class, if they were having trouble struggling with teaching their dog something, to come out on the floor and show us and then let the class say what they would do hmm. to fix it. I, it wasn't where I had all the ideas. I wanted the students to know they had ideas too and they could help each other. And I would pair students up to help each other and watch each other. That's a and great half idea. The class, half the class would be out on the floor, half of them would be in the chairs, and I would assign one student to watch another student. Mm-hmm. And... Then i let them get together for about three minutes and talk about what did they see that could be improved. So I, I tried to make all the students evaluators, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. And I did that same thing when, when I taught the sixth graders, made them feel they were part of the teaching process, too, that it wasn't just me that had the answers. And I think the great
1: way to learn is to help others. It keeps them really interested.
2: Oh, yeah, very much so. Rather than just sitting there talking to their neighbor, mm-hmm. they're they're actively involved. So you want them to be actively involved. Mm-hmm.
1: So do you believe in kitchen training? <laughs> yeah. I love the way you <laughs> described that. That was good. Um, <laughs> the reason I
2: really like kitchen training, do you remember Dorothy Richtin? Yeah. Okay. Well, Dorothy first started training. I thought she was quite elderly, but she was probably younger than I am now. <laughs> you know how you think everybody old is uh-huh. older at the time. But she had a Chelsea and while the rest of us were out finding places to train and going to parks and doing all these things, she stayed home trained in her kitchen. Well, her dog was just as good as anybody else's dog. She got the titles before the rest of us got our titles. and She took her dog out a lot, but she never trained it when she was out. I don't know if you noticed that about mm-hmm. her. She just socialized the dog, yeah. which is probably one of the best things to do. Train your dog at home, socialize them out. Mm-hmm. Don't take them out and, and make them do something when they're not ready to do it in public yet. And so she trained her dog in the kitchen. And she, she probably had a 8 by 8 foot space, was the biggest area she had, mm-hmm. and she trained him to do things then. And what she did is she caught the dog doing what, you, like you had said, when it did something, like say it laid down, mm-hmm. she would reward the laying down. She didn't tell it it lay down, but every time it laid down, she'd, you know, she'd give it a treat. And then she'd start saying down when it laid down. And it just... Everything was in a small area. You don't need a huge, big area. And you need to teach the dog all the behaviors, all the maneuvers, all the things they need to do in a distraction-free environment, which would be your kitchen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's to me, it's kitchen training.
1: Yeah, and I think that's great because I, I did that with my, with my dogs, too. And I always thought, well, I was being lazy. But uh, really, in reality, I was trying to catch them in little splurts yeah. during the day instead of making it a one- hour-long training session would we both get really an hour tired. to
2: get to where you have to go, mm-hmm. and an hour to get back. And well, we'd mm-hmm. drive an hour to find a building to go train in, like a training building, or go to a park. And we'd spend more time on the road than we did training.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she didn't do that. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> she trained in her kitchen. And I find I have a little basement area, and call it the dog's playroom, and I do most of my training down there, but I take them a lot of places to socialize them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that when I get there, I have to train them. I just have to get them used to being in, you know, different places and not being worried. I have a dog now that kind of worries about things. I like to get her used to being around different things. Mm-hmm. And there's so many stores that let you bring your dogs in. Just mm-hmm. take them in, get them used to things. And take them in a hotel and let them ride the elevators. And mm-hmm. There's just so many things you can do with your dog for socialization. and that is training. It's actually very much
1: training. Well, and then to pay attention to what your dog may fear. Like, I remember, I think it was one of your dogs, maybe not, maybe it was one of mine, I can't remember, was afraid of fire hydrants. So, oh, it wasn't mine. Oh. Yeah, so maybe it was mine, I don't know. But And maybe I went to you and asked you what to do, maybe that was it, to really reward the dog when it would go over and even go a little bit towards something they were afraid of. Mm-hmm. And praise right. them for that.
2: Yes, and you just... You find where the, the space is that they start worrying about the object, and then you start gradually getting them closer to the object. They okay. will eventually not be afraid of it, but you have to do it very gradual. I had a dog that was afraid of the fish tanks at Petco.
0: Hmm.
2: And I think they, they have those motor noises. Mm-hmm. And this was Kaylee in one of my Shelties. She was afraid of that. I mean, really afraid of it. First time I took her in there, she just panicked. tried to get away she was so scared i went in there every day for a week it only took a week and i sat pretty far away as far away as i could sit where she could see the fish tanks and i just massaged her rubbed her and massaged her okay and then the next day i came back and i did it a little bit longer and maybe a foot closer and I kept doing – and I'm sure the people at the store went <laughs> this lady sitting on the floor massaging her dog, always in the same vicinity. <laughs> uh, nobody ever said anything, but I'm sure they thought I was weird. But after a week, she walked in there and didn't pay attention to the fish tanks anymore. So that's just kind of how you – to take it slow and teach them that they can relax around something they're afraid of.
1: Mm-hmm. And I've seen people – well, I actually – and I remember in obedience class – People would come into class and say, "But my dog did it at home, but they're not able to do it here."
2: Oh, that's all the.
1: T- <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was all the time.
2: All the time. <laughs> well, it's like those of us that show, and you hear this all the time at shows. Well, my dog only does that at a show; they never <laughs> do that at home. You know, all they only—if only the judge could come to my house and right. see how wonderful uh, my dog is—and that is that is just so true. The reason for that is. One, you haven't told the dog that what they were doing is wrong. You know, they haven't gotten out and done it in public yet. And you just, you start in your kitchen (laughs) and then you take it to another room of your house and then you take it to the, oh, the driveway, you know. Mm -hmm. I've been training healing in the driveway now for two weeks since I have to stay home anyway. And to go to the driveway and now I'm in the street. I live on a dead end street, train in the street. And then the next step is we're going to go up to the park area where it's in the neighborhood. There's a park area up there. We'll go to that. And so you just keep the distractions, just keep it more and more and more. But you can't, you never think they have it. You know, it's very deceptive. Well, my dog knows how to sit. I don't know why he was not sit here. He knows how to sit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, he knows how to sit where you taught him to sit. <laughs> he doesn't know. They're, they're very situational, very much so. And another thing I have the students do is to let them know that dogs really respond more to your body language than they do to words. You cannot teach a dog like you teach a two-year-old because two-year-olds are verbal. Dogs aren't. And so I tell them, all right, turn your back to the dog and tell them to sit. 90% of dogs won't sit if your back's turned to them, because that's not how they were taught. Hmm. They're taught with you standing in front of them or beside them, but not with your back to them. If a two-year-old would sit, they know the word sit, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Most dogs will know, you're not in the right place, you're not in the right spot, you're not looking at me. Your eyebrows didn't move up when you said that word. I mean, it could be many things, but Mm -hmm. they don't learn like we do. And that, as a trainer, you have to realize that dogs don't learn the same way.
1: Didn't you used to just make up words to see how your dogs would react?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. There are a few dogs that are are very word-specific. But other, (laughs) other dogs, or most dogs, I should say, You teach them the word come, okay, and you put the dog on a sit, you go across the room, you tell them to come, and they'll come, okay? Put the dog on a sit, go across the room, and tell them bananas, most dogs will come, okay? Because (laughs) it's what you do, it's the context of the thing. They are Mm -hmm. not really Mm word-specific, but you can teach them to be. You, You can teach the dog, you know, several words, several commands, and then you can train them in that, I'm going to say all these words, but you're only going to come on the word come. But it takes a lot more training. They just don't do it automatically like a two year old would do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of like the recall. I think, it, no, it was the, I can't remember what it was. And you, you said bathroom sink and your dog did the command. And I can't remember which dog that was, but I remember, I learned from that hearing you just make up different words. Yes. And you never know what is going to happen. When you're in a show, either, if you if you decide to go ahead and show your dog and what that situation is. And I also remember mm-hmm. you looking ahead and being proactive by teaching your dog if you knew a judge was going to wear a big hat or, you know, it was going to be rainy. And so they were going to wear a great big poncho to then train your dog so it wouldn't get all upset in the ring when it saw the judge wearing something
2: right you have to get them used to different distractions you mm-hmm. know what they're talking about now online on i'm on several online training groups and they're talking about when the shows start back up in july august whenever they because they've all been canceled if uh, the judges wear masks oh. you know and then you're gonna have to get your dog used to the person that's judging them wearing a mask so that's yeah. just something they were talking about so that's Huh. You know, what you were saying, that you have to get them used to things. Because a lot of dogs wouldn't even notice, but Shelties would notice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do they have on their face? Shelties notice everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can attest to that,
1: right? I can. I I will actually go to pick up something on the floor and look at them upside down, and they don't know who I am. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Funny little dogs. <laughs> I'm to tell you, my husband went somewhere one time, he put his coat on a coat rack, and when he went to leave, there was another coat just like his, and he picked it up by mistake. My shelter, wouldn't let him in the house. <laughs> it was the same-looking coat, but it smelled different. <laughs> he was being a guard dog. You are not. I don't know you. You're a stranger. <laughs> he wouldn't let him in the house, and we didn't That's know so what, had, what had happened. And then he put his hand in his pocket for something, he went, oh, this isn't my coat. <laughs> And the dog wouldn't. The dog would not. They—they're they're very strange little creatures. Sometimes they certainly are. <laughs> they notice are. everything. They, they notice do. everything. And good guard dogs.
1: Exactly. Let's take a break here during a fun episode of the Animal Academy podcast—a chat with Judge, Trainer, and my friend Ginger Kenyon. We'll be right back. You're probably already editing your own podcast. You may be editing other people's podcasts. Ever thought of making even more money editing podcasts? EditorCore.com is looking for a few good editors to edit podcasts inside of the EditorCore.com effort. Take the experience, skills, and knowledge you've collected over the years as you edit podcasts and embiggen your wallet and or purse. It's time to start monetizing the process of editing podcasts. Make your way to EditorCore.com. Help us make podcasts soar at the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so, consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at animalacademypodcast.com, and let's have a conversation. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your
0: organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your
1: one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com everyone welcome back to the animal academy podcast today we're having a great discussion with trainer judge and my friend ginger kenyon who has delivered so much already ginger let's continue we had talked about some frequently asked questions that people may ask. Do you mind answering a few of these? That oh, I'll try. <laughs> how important is it to socialize a puppy?
2: Very important. From the time you get the puppy, you can take them to safe places. You wouldn't want to take them where there's a lot of other dogs till they get you know two sets of shots. But uh, you can you take them to a lot of safe places. Take them around cars, bicycles, skateboards. Uh, I have a dog that's very much afraid of anything with wheels on it, you know, skateboards. I, I bought her own skateboard, just just things that have wheels on it. But I also take them to a lot like uh, Bass Pro Shop, Home Depot, like I said, hotels and elevators, shopping centers, pet stores. None of my dogs like pet stores. None of their deers like pet stores? No, they don't. And why do you think that is?
1: Well, maybe it's because I don't like pet stores necessarily. Oh, that could
2: be. <laughs> I thought maybe it was the smell kind of overwhelming maybe. And I always you know, with all feel. the little animals.
1: Yeah, and I feel when I go into a pet store, it's very chaotic sometimes with people with flexi mm-hmm. leads and their dogs, and they mm-hmm. come around the corner, and I don't know. I'm not a big yeah. fan of taking my dog to a pet store.
2: No, I'm not either. And a, and a lot of times the other dogs in there are not, are not very well trained, and they can be. A problem. And another thing I like to do is, I like to take my dogs to the vet and weigh them Hmm. and go over to the receptionist and get a treat and leave.
1: Oh, good idea. And I'll
2: take them in, weigh them, go over to the receptionist, get a treat. So when they go to the vet for something like their shots or Surgery or whatever, or get their teeth clean. It's like, oh my gosh, it's this place where I always go, and, and it's awful. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this is the place where I get to stand on that little scale thing and go get a treat. <laughs> and also, a lot of times, people only take their dog in the car when they're going to some place the dog really doesn't want to go, like mm. the vet. You know, take them for car rides, you know, a, lot, a lot of banks and rest- drive-through restaurants and things like that. Give your dog a treat, or if they don't, give the dog a treat. You can pretend they gave them. a treat. Mm-hmm. You can give them a treat. But, you know, take them for car rides. Take them somewhere and make it a fun trip rather than just, that's why a lot of dogs don't like to get in the car. But I think socialization is very, very important. And getting them around a lot of different kinds of people, children. If dogs aren't in a home with children, sometimes that can be a problem. So get them, as puppies, get them around children a lot. Mm-hmm. And just let them see the world, everything that's out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have to train puppies for long periods of time? I know we talked a little bit about that earlier, but I remember doing it in short spurts.
2: Yes, I don't like to train for more than like ten minutes at a time—just ten minutes—and then a couple of times a day. And then I'll just pick a couple of specific things I want to work on with the dog. And an- another thing is, I'd say ten minutes—that's formal training. It's formal training. Mm-hmm. But you have to train your dog 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you are training that dog. So you can't let it ignore you if they're outside and you tell it to come in. They don't do it. You just ignore it, let it go. And then you train them to come to you. Mm -hmm. That's the formal thing. And you make them do it. But you don't reinforce that in everyday life. And every home has rules. Like, I don't care if my dogs jump on the furniture. Some people just don't allow that. Well, then you don't allow it. If you don't care, then you don't care, you know. Mm-hmm. There has to be just certain rules, and they have to do it all the time. So you're always training your dog.
1: So be consistent.
2: Be very consistent. I had a girl whose dog pulled her a lot, the girl in class. Her dog pulled her. It was a it was a lab, and it just pulled her and pulled her. And she was really a good student. She listened. She she worked. I, she said she you worked hard. 30 minutes a day, and the dog was still pulling her. And I had to get to the bottom of why this was happening. She trained her dog, and the dog walked very nice to her. Then she took it out for a, I would say, a three-mile, I think it was three-mile, a three-mile jog where he was at the end of the leash pulling her. So three miles the Mm. dog pulled her every day. Oh, my goodness. And then she trained it for 10 minutes not to pull Mm-hmm. So I said, until your dog learns not to pull, you don't take him on a dog where he pulls mm-hmm. you. It doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. So she quit doing that, and within a week he wasn't pulling her anymore. Wow. But dogs do what they practice. Mm-hmm. They do what they practice. And sometimes they're practicing things you don't want them to practice. Okay?
1: What about house training a dog? Do you? What is your favorite way to house train? Okay. Well, one of the things
2: and you asked me about this, was do I use bells?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of people have so much success with bells. There's so many ways to teach a dog anything. There's just you
0: know,
2: many, many ways. And I've tried bells one time. And I, I always have to have one terrier in my house. And they're Tibetan terriers. And they, they learn kind of differently. And so I this last Tibetan terrier. I thought, I'm going to try the bell thing. So I put the bells and if I wasn't right there when he would ring that bell, he would go right at the door. And he did it all the time. So what did I teach him? Mm-hmm. Ring the bell, go potty at the door. <laughs> he always went potty at the door. The kitchen door, the basement door. Didn't matter. You know, once I took the bells away, if he saw a door, that's where he went potty. <laughs> did not work for me. It did not work at all. But some people have a lot of success with with mm-hmm. it. I, and then I've had other people say, well, they just go and ring the bell because they want to go outside. You know, they'd ring it a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think it's the best way, but you know, if you have success with it, that's fine. What I like to do with a puppy is if I am not watching that dog, then he's in the crate. And if I'm there watching him, he's tied to me on a leash. And he just learns to bond with me. He's with me all the time. Just wherever I go, he's with me. Okay, he's tied to a leash. And I do this for about two months. And then I learn to catch his little. Every dog has the tells, you know. He, they might turn a little circle, they might whine, whatever, to let you know they have to go. And then I take him right out right then. In fact, I pick him up and take him out. And when I take him out of the crate, I pick him up and take him out mm-hmm. because a lot of times they'll go on the way to the door. Mm-hmm you don't pick them up. And remember, what they practice, they learn to do. If they do go in the house, I don't make a big deal about it, but I pick it up with a paper towel and take it outside to one certain place and put it in that place. So they know this is where I go potty. When they do go potty outside, I always praise them for it, or on a leash at the beginning, and I praise them for it, but one thing you don't want to do is is they're sniffing around because puppies could sniff around for, what, 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. especially if it's December or January, (laughs) and the person's going, go potty, go potty, go potty. Well, what does that mean to the dog? Whatever you say to the dog, it means what they're doing. And so go potty means sniff the ground and stand out here in the cold for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you say go potty when they're actually going potty. And that's a big thing that people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Now, once they understand that the command go potty means to go potty, then you can take them out and say it. And you say it once, Mm -hmm. they do it. But you don't say it when they're sniffing around until they know what it means.
1: That's real important. So you're reinforcing the exact behavior when it happens.
2: mm -hmm. Exactly. Right when it happens, you're, that's your potty, that's it, give them a treat. And always, after they eat, take them out. After they play, take them out. And after they wake up, take them out. Those Mm -hmm. are the three times: eat, play, and sleep. They go out because that's when they really have to go. And next, to watch for the signs. It's pretty easy, you know, if if you're consistent with it. And that's why the last, maybe the last three dogs I've had, I've just had them leashed to my belt buckle, Mm -hmm. and they're just right with me. And because puppies can go, and, and if the puppy goes, it's not the puppy's fault. It's your fault for not watching them mm-hmm. and not being consistent with taking them out enough. And some puppies have to go more than others. The last puppy I got is, was very, very small, very small puppy. She weighed like four or five pounds, and she just seemed to have to go a lot because her bladder wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. I went through a lot of paper towels with her.
1: Lots of house. <laughs> so do you think that people a lot of times assume that their dog should know before they're ready or before they really have that knowledge? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. You mean I'm going
1: out and go yeah. potty?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. I think they think, oh, we had a couple of days without going potty in the house. Okay. We're housebroken. And then they have an accident and, and then people get all upset about it. Well, my dog knows better than that. No, they don't know better than that. Mm-hmm. If they knew better... They're not willful, the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. They're not willful. They they want to please you all the time. They're not stubborn. They're not willful. I, I never have believed that about a dog. I, I don't think that they understand what you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Once
2: they understand what you want and what they're supposed to do, they do it. And I just think your training hasn't been consistent, and they've practiced going in the house too many times because you weren't there. To let them out or didn't catch the signal to let them out
0: mm-hmm.
2: and or or maybe it's just because uh, they have to go out more than you think they have to go out mm-hmm. and and a lot of times the dog you just let the dog out if you have a fenced in yard i let the dog out oh they've been out there 10 minutes let them back in i'm sure they went and you don't actually see that they went mm-hmm. and that well they were out there 10 minutes and they didn't go potty
1: well
2: mm-hmm. so you didn't go out and reinforce it i you have to reinforce it every time when they're little
1: i have kind of a funny story that I think I'll share because it's kind of, it fits the topic. I was housebreaking one of my dogs many years ago, just a puppy. And I also had my nephew and he was being potty trained at the same time. And I had my nephew all weekend long. So I would run my nephew into the bathroom, you know, good potty, good potty, good potty. Then I'd, you know, pick him up who was little take him out with my puppy, and then I'd give my puppy a treat in the backyard and praise my dog for, you know, good potty, good potty, and i uh-huh. give him a cookie. So at the end of the weekend, I got a call from my brother-in-law saying, you broke my son. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I asked him if he had to go potty, and he went to the front yard and peed in the front yard. Oh. So... <laughs> So I hadn't rewarded my nephew by giving a cookie, so he wanted to kind of be like a dog. <laughs> the dog got a cookie, but he didn't. Yeah, poor thing. Maybe it was because he went didn't go in the yard. That's true. <laughs> That's I'll so never true. forget that one. So what there's a, a lot of funny stories about dogs and kids. Oh, there really are. What would you say is the best way to or maybe even start go back a step? Is it hard to crate train a dog?
2: Oh, I don't think that's hard at all. You leave the door open at first. Just throw in a treat. Let them go in and get the treat. Leave the door open and just sit down there and pet the dog, talk to the dog, make it a a nice, safe place. What you don't want to do is put the dog in a crate and leave for eight hours and go Mm. to work. So you want to train them on the weekend where Mm -hmm. first you can leave the door open And then maybe shut the door for five minutes, but you're still right there. Mm -hmm. And then shut the door for 10 minutes. And and like everything else that we've talked about, training is a gradual process. But most dogs, I would say all dogs that have been trained properly to like their crate, they naturally like it. They're little den animals anyway, and they like little small spaces. My dogs, I have a, a Golden, and... She loves to get in the smallest bed you can possibly find. She wants a great big golden bed. She wants a little shelty bed. They like little small places. So crates are not mean. A lot of people say, well, my dog doesn't like the crate. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Well, most kids don't like to go to bed at nine o'clock either. But, you know, Mm -hmm. they need to learn that that's what you do, you know, and then they learn to like it.
1: If it's not used for like a punishment, Yes. And now
2: that's a thank you. That's another thing. Don't ever use it as a punishment. You went potty in the house and they throw you in the crate. How Mm -hmm. how how would they like the crate? It's like the same principle as taking them in the car to the vet every time Mm -hmm. and then
1: say, but my dog doesn't like the car.
2: Yeah, it's the same principle. You know, don't use it as a
1: punishment. Ginger, one of the other things that you mentioned is that people always ask, how do I get my dog to quit jumping on people? Do you think that's possible? (laughs) Oh, that's the easy...
2: I, that's that's kind of like the shaking hands thing. so easy. First of all, it's like everything else I'm going to start out with is you don't put a word to it. You watch people when their dogs jump on you. What do most people say? If a dog jumps on you, what do people say?
1: Just get off, dog?
2: right? Get off. Get off. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to the dog? Nothing. Go potty, go potty means sniff. No, it means to jump on you because you say get off mm-hmm. as soon as the dog jumps on you. So what they hear, are they... They always chain the word with the action. So the dog jumps on you and they hear off. So the command to, j- to jump on you is off because you say it when they mm-hmm. do it. Okay? So you don't say anything when the dog jumps on you because you never give a command to a bad behavior. That's just remember mm-hmm. that with everything you do. If the dog's doing something you don't like, don't give him a command. Your command can be ah or one of those icky sounds you make when mm-hmm. the dog's not right or wrong. But don't give a command like off. Dog doesn't know the difference between, or no jump. I love it when people say no jump.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. All the dog hears is jump, right? Mm -hmm. You don't put a word to it, and you redirect the behavior, and you redirect it to a sit. As soon as the dog sits, you give them a treat. So you teach them when they come up to any person to sit. We teach dogs as puppies to jump on us. Every single puppy is taught to jump on us. Mm-hmm. they run back and forth, and they're so cute. What do they do? They weigh just a few pounds, and they're cute. And so we, we pat our legs and tell them to jump on us. And we don't, you know, oh, puppy, puppy, and they come and jump on us, and it's so cute. And then one day they come in, and now they weigh 50 pounds, and they're muddy. It's not cute anymore. Mm-hmm. And now we want to change the whole look of it. But we taught them that.
1: And now they're in trouble. And I always
2: say, don't teach a puppy something that you don't want them to do when they're 50 pounds and muddy. hmm
1: <laughs> Yeah. That's a good way to look at it,
2: yeah and and so you never teach them that to begin with. You teach little puppies to come up and sit and give them a treat, mm-hmm. and that's all they know that they can't, they never practice here's that I say that all the time. they've never practiced that behavior of jumping
0: mm-hmm. if
2: they haven't practiced it, they don't do it. If they've never pulled you on a leash, they don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. just don't let them
1: practice one of the other questions somebody asked is. Does playing tug-of-war make a dog aggressive?
2: I don't believe it does, as long as you're in charge of the game. You know, you start the game, you give them the, the tug toy, and when you're done, you just say out, and they let go. Okay? I don't think it makes them aggressive. Mm-hmm. I like for my dogs to tug. I have more problems with my dogs not wanting to tug. <laughs> not all my dogs have wanted to tug. Mm-hmm. I like for them, too. I think it's a good exercise for them, and I don't think it makes them aggressive unless they are in charge of the game, and they will let loose when you ask them to. You okay. have to teach them that.
1: Okay. Another question is, should dogs sleep on the bed?
2: <laughs> that is one that, again, I think it's preference. A lot of trainers will say absolutely not. And I say I think it's great. So you know, yeah, and it depends a lot on the dog. If the dog is taking over on the bed and doesn't let somebody else get in there without growling at us, it, like the husband comes to get to the bed or the wife, whoever owns the dog or trains the dog, and they growl at that person, that's not good. You know, mm-hmm. I have four dogs. Two of them sleep on the bed. Once the puppy sleeps in a crate because she still can't control her getting into things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The other one's old and he sleeps on the floor But I let that be their decision But if I tell them to get off They get off, you know, they mm-hmm. get off the bed I don't see any problem with it But I've always had I've never had a dog over 25 pounds either So that might make a difference, I don't know Okay So you let your dog sleep on the bed? I do Okay. And I had
1: yeah. a 70-year-old golden retriever Now, I would kick him out of bed If he started snoring too loudly uh, Yeah <laughs> I don't
2: think it's a problem, but then not every trainer agrees with that. Mm -hmm. But it's never been a problem for me, I'll put it that way. Okay.
1: What about teaching an old dog new tricks? Is that possible?
2: Get that clicker.
1: Get Mm -hmm. that clicker. You can
2: teach any dog anything. I think you can teach any dog. Um, Just use the same techniques. Sometimes it's harder because they practice something different. Like, you know, we're talking that they practice doing things a different way their whole life. But if you want to teach them a cute little trick or something, sure you can do that. You can teach an old dog to. I don't know where that ever came from. That saying, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand it. Some people bring their dogs to obedience classes, and they they're five years old and they've never had any formal training, mm-hmm. but they learn it. You know? you, and they don't have that immature short attention span like a little puppy has either. Yeah. So sometimes I think it might be easier.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Except if they've, you know, been doing something like jumping on people for five years, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to break some of it.
1: Well, and you know, as it was helpful when I had older dogs, it was helpful that they knew tricks. Because, mm-hmm. like I said earlier with the stretching, when they d- weren't as limber and they needed to stretch a little bit before exercising, I could give them one of those commands, you know, to stretch or to bow yes. or to high five. And so it was at least moving and doing it in a fun mm-hmm. way, moving their arms around.
2: Yes. Yes, I think it's, it's good. And I never think of a dog as, oh, they're trained, they're trained. That would be like you, you quit learning when you get to a certain age. Okay, I'm 21, I'm out of college, I'm not going to learn anything anymore. A dog needs to be learning using their mind the whole time, their whole life. Mm-hmm. And so, like with Bradley, the little trick dog I had, I was always coming up with new tricks for him. Because at least I wanted, when he went to the nursing home, to at least have one new thing. <laughs> and because, um, like I said, we had to go back every month, so it's like I try to teach him something new he just loved it. You could just see he loved learning. And I think dogs do love. And they love the bond you get with a dog when you're teaching them something. Mm-hmm. And when you made it fun, it's like, oh, boy, we're going to go learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like it a lot.
1: And I'm thinking, too, with dogs that are so used to performing competitively in whatever venue that is, you know, what a great thing to, once they're retired from their performance, to then move on to something like that and still have fun. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, they love to kind of show off for people and do the mm-hmm. do their tricks and play and and I have a dog that loves to play ball and he's not showing anymore and so every day he loved to play catch with the ball, you know, just play catch and that's his thing. He'd rather do that than anything. So they don't have to be doing formal dog show things to mm-hmm. be having fun. They enjoy life mm-hmm. no matter what, what you do. But what they don't enjoy is being ignored. Yeah, that's when your problems start and I always tell people after they've taken uh, to today it's six week classes the 12 week $25 classes are a thing of the past <laughs> yeah. very much so but if they take a six week class I said don't make this the end of your dog's learning because they've spent six weeks with you every day doing something with them and if all of a sudden you think that you quit and ignore them and put them out in the yard and don't pay attention to them they're going to eat your couch Mm-hmm. You know, they will eat all your best shoes. They're gonna, they are gonna—they always pick the best shoes, right? <laughs> They're going to eat those. Yeah. Because they, they've learned to have your attention. You just can't take it away from them. So always give the dogs something to do, something to learn, and just to have fun with life.
1: Those are some really good tips. And besides being a teacher and being an awesome obedience instructor, you're also an obedience and rally judge. What yes, do, I am. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy about judging?
2: Oh, I love judging. I used to like like the travel part of it. I've been all, all the two states judging. I loved it. I love the travel part. Well, I don't like that anymore. It's mm-hmm. gotten very hard to travel with the airlines and everything. So I don't travel anymore. I just like watching the people. I know how hard they have to work to get into an obedience ring or a rally ring or an agility ring. I don't judge agility, but I go to agility trials, and I see people have to work really hard to do these things, and they put in a lot of time and effort. I just love to see them, even if they're not successful, just that they're having a good time together. And When I first started thinking about judging, it's in 91, I think it's 1991, I started thinking about it. It's a lot of work to become a judge. It takes about six years before you're fully qualified of testing and observing and working and before you're able to do it and it's that's a lot of work do I really want to do that and I thought well if everybody felt that way we couldn't have dog shows Mm because there wouldn't be judges and it's just a way to give back to the sport and so I went ahead and well I'll try this and I just ended up really liking it and I think the people in the ring just like the people in my classes and my 6th graders they have to be encouraged to come back if they have a bad day they Mm -hmm. just have to be encouraged to come back and I've known people say, Why do you even do this? Your dog's terrible. And that's not right because you know, they, they love their dog, they want to do it, they put a lot of work into it, and some dogs just have bad days. Mm-hmm. And I just like to encourage them that yeah, you can you can do this.
1: Well there's a lot does that of answer your question Yeah. I'm, yeah, it like, does. And there's a lot of camaraderie among judges and oh, around
2: you know Yes, uh, you mean oh, that was another thing. Yeah. Thank you. I met have met so many neat people across the country, uh, just so many other judges that we share ideas and, you know, we'll call each other up and say, this is what I did today. Did you think that was right? Did I take off too many points for that? Mm-hmm. Should I have failed them for that? You know, what would you have done? And we just, just a little community that just spur each other on. Mm-hmm. And it's just so many neat friends and the exhibitors, because you see a lot of the same exhibitors where you go and. And you feel like met a lot of people and made a lot of friends.
1: Well, and people help each other out, you know, oh, offering training tips. And I remember mm-hmm. – I'm going to have to tell another short story. I remember – I can't remember what dog show it was, but my dog, Golden Retriever Charity, was in the ring. And it was out of sight, sits and downs. And she always had a way of breaking either one of the, the sit or the down. And I think it was you that noticed that her neck was going a little bit higher – In the ring, as she was looking for me, she was scoping the crowd, wondering where I went, and you noticed that somebody that looked similar to me that was wearing a striped shirt walked in the building, and you said, stop. She thinks that that's Allison coming, and Allison's outside. And did it work? It did, and she passed.
2: I had to laugh when you said striped shirt because we had the Striped Shirt Club. (laughs) Remember that? Yes. We always talked about Allison and her striped shirt. So all of her friends, one day we went to the show and we all wore striped shirts. It was so (laughs) funny. We all went out and bought the same striped shirt. The
1: same striped shirt. Yeah,
2: it was. We had more fun. um, There were four of us that traveled together and we just had a lot of fun, a lot of adventures. And I told Allison... (laughs) She's going to have to have Pat Caston on together to tell people how not to travel to Doctor's because we have a lot of stories.
1: Yes. So I think that there will be a podcast in the future if you're willing to come back, Ginger. It'll be the Ginger and Pat show.
2: Yes, and we'll have to do it in person, too, because oh my, I don't know if we could get through it without laughing or, you know, just laughing because we really did have a lot of inventors, a lot of them. So it's such a, a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. When you think about, you know, I keep saying the dog community, but it's with horses, it's with cats, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, You put your passion in, you find like-minded people Mm -hmm. and you just start hitting it off. I mean, some of our conversations Mm -hmm. in restaurants that were very animal related, (laughs) you know, there were some heads turned because not everybody's (laughs) into the kind of topics that we talk about
2: exactly but you find that with everything does you have to be animal related like, I guess quilting bee people get together and you know just whatever your passion is and uh, it's just it's just fun well and, and, and the travel the travel is fun especially when yeah. you had the when you get four <laughs> ditzy people together <laughs> we got lost a lot
1: yeah oh. I remember that and walking in after a dog show walking down the buffet line because we're all hungry and I think it was either you or Pat looked at me and started laughing, and I had a dog leash wrapped around my neck, and I was going to <laughs> <laughs> the buffet line to have dinner. Yeah, a lot of good stories to share. Yes. Ginger, is there anything else that you'd like to share today? Well, I was just going
2: to say the biggest errors that the students make yeah. when training their dogs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to just mention those. Sure. And one is repeating commands. And that's just one that we all want to do because that's the way we learn as we were very verbal and we learn by hearing the word over and over and over again. Well, if you tell your dog to sit, my dog knows how to sit, and then you say sit, 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 and you get to the fifth time he sits, then he's going to think, the dog is going to think, that on the fifth command I sit. So you always give a command one time, and then if they don't do it, you just show them how to do it or start over or whatever. But that just has to be a real rule of thumb to give one command. And then the other is not to talk at all when they're learning the exercise. You can't put a word to what they don't know. You get them to do the behavior. Like if you want them to do a high five, you get them to do it. And then once they're doing it very much so, then you put the word, you know, Mm -hmm. high five or whatever you're going to call it. Same with sit. You lure them into the sit with a treat, and then when they're doing it without the treat, then you can put a word to it. But don't be telling them to sit, sit, sit. And then another thing is poor timing. You don't get the praise in. That's where the clicker's handy because you don't have to worry about when you praise. As soon as the dog does what you want, you click. But not not letting the dog know when they're right or wrong. Um, That's just real important. And my first instructor always called that timing. He said, you just have really poor timing. He told me that all the time. Your timing's really poor. And I'm never quite Mm -hmm. sure what it meant for the longest time. But just not getting the information to the dog when he's doing it. And then this I I talked to a lot about as we went along is putting words to behaviors you don't want, Mm -hmm. like off and go potty and Mm -hmm. um, leave it. I love people when their dog is going towards something they're going, leave it, leave it, leave it. And so what does the dog think leave it means? Pull you towards the other dog mm-hmm. or pull you towards the tree on the floor? Because that's when you're going, leave it, leave it, leave it. Wait until he leaves it before you say leave it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I think is thinking a dog is stubborn or stupid or willful when the dog just hasn't enough had enough training or the right training. Mm-hmm. Are you, it's something you're doing wrong. And people say, the dog's blowing me off today and the dog's stupid and the dog's willful and uh, none of that. It's just they don't understand what you want. If they did, they'd do it. And dogs have to learn in a distraction-free environment before they can go distractions. That's why you don't. The dog doesn't learn at dog school. You learn how to teach the dog, and then you go home and do it in a very quiet area. Mm-hmm.
1: It makes okay? a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Those
2: are the ones I think were, are the things people need to think about when they're training.
1: Yeah, and and what I'm getting from that too, Ginger, is that dog training doesn't have to be hard, but it does mean that you have to, like if you do it in a smart way, it doesn't have to be hard.
2: No, and you have to realize you're teaching a different species. We could not go live in a dog community and understand. We could not do it. But the dogs are remarkable because they're living in a community, completely different communication than they're used to. Dogs don't speak to each other, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, and they bark, but they don't have words for everything like we do. They learn a lot by body language Mm -hmm. and it's amazing what dogs can do considering they're being taught by a different species. And I I just marvel at them and what they can do. Some trainers are really remarkable what they can get out of their dogs Mm -hmm. too. They spend the time, the energy, and like you said, they train smart.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: There's some really good people out
1: there. There really doing are. really remarkable things. Mm-hmm. Well, I have had such a good time kind of reminiscing over some fun times, too, and fun training experiences. And
2: it is, And I, I really appreciate you having me today. I
1: appreciate all you've done uh, for me with my uh, dog training well, since I was you. probably 24 years old. So that's a long time. <laughs> I know. And I have to uh, admit something, Ginger. The timing is really good because I'll probably be getting a puppy in the next uh, month or so. I am going to be listening to this podcast. I'm going to be listening to Pat and Sandy's podcast episodes too, putting it all together, and hopefully, I'll have the best well trained puppy out oh, there. You will. You will. <laughs> No doubt about it, you'll have a great puppy. <laughs> or at least a fun dog, you know. It doesn't. Have and to... there's
2: so much today. You've got YouTube and you've got all these wonderful books. And, you know, I never quit learning. It's like mm-hmm. I, I'm always on YouTube finding out how, pe- how do people teach this and how do they teach that. And some of them I'm going, oh, that doesn't look like that would work to me. And others are like, oh, that's brilliant. I never mm-hmm. thought of that. So there's just so many different ways to learn. And there's a lot of people right now, since you can't go to classes, they're doing online things. So people can learn online. And I just think it's great, all the information that's out there.
1: And, you know, when I, when I just said that, I have to take some of that back because I don't have to have the, the most well-trained dog. That's not really it. It's the bond that you have in your mm-hmm. experience with the training, right? Yes, it
2: is. It is very much so. And, you know, my, uh, my son's neighbor, he's, he's had three dogs since my son has lived there. And I mean, that man is brilliant about training that dog. He doesn't need to be in a fence. He comes when he's called. He never leaves the yard. He's very well behaved. The, dog's, the man's never taken a class in his life. He, you know, he just has that innate ability to know how to train his dog. And because not all his dogs started out wonderfully as puppies, you know. Like you said, it's just he's got that bond with the dog, and the mm-hmm. dog will do anything for him that he wants because of that bond that they have and he's he's one of those dog whisperer people
1: mm-hmm. so it's more the process rather than the end result
2: yes and there's so many things you can do with your dogs and and one of them is just for the dog to have a happy home life yeah. and to, to have fun and always be using his brain that yeah. is so important
0: mm-hmm.
2: I've had dogs that I've not done a whole lot with as far as dog shows because it's not their thing mm-hmm. and I love that dog just as much, and we do just as much fun things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not important to me what we do at shows, and I don't think it should be.
1: Well, and the dogs that I have right now, it was not in their career. You know, it Mm -hmm. was it's I started out that way, but I realized that it was not something they enjoy doing. I just changed the path and they enjoy sleeping on the bed and doing tricks and watching TV and (laughs) staring at me while I work at home. So
2: and it's got to be your passion, too. And and sometimes in life you're doing different things, Mm -hmm. you know, and you don't have the time for it or the patience for it or whatever. Can you hear my dog? I can. Yeah. You know what happened? I got up and walked over to the sink. I was sitting at the kitchen table, and they said, Mom, just got up. We have to let her know we're still here (laughs) because they're all in their crates. I never should have moved because that's, yeah. See, I do have well-trained dogs. I've trained them. When I get up, Uh I have to go go directly to them. (laughs) Yeah, so they've been trained.
1: (laughs) Yes, they have. Well, Ginger, thank you so much. I appreciate this.
2: Oh, I well, I I was nervous at the beginning, but then it's like oh, I'm just talking to Allison. That's right. So We're that's just having a conversation. I'm a talking to Allison. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Thank you so well, thank much, Ginger. You. Okay, and I can't wait to see your puppy.
1: All right, I will be <laughs> sure to be six feet away from you, but okay. I will have like a long leash so you can do some puppy socialization. How about that? All right,
2: sounds great. All right, okay,
1: take care. Thank you. Uh-huh, bye. Bye. Training dogs—it's not simple. And while it's a science, it is a sweet science and a process that increases the bond that we have with our animals. Ginger's impact on the animal communities when it comes to teaching, judging, and so many other things is one that has allowed me to then marvel and continue to do so. She shows everyone that meets her that even the smallest of tasks can incorporate fun. That makes the tasks, no matter their size, fun for everyone especially the animals. I look forward to the next time I, and you, as an audience, connect with Ginger, who will surely deliver even more great tips, tricks, and fun, training my new puppy. Thanks for listening to an instructive but fun episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, AnimalAcademyPodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy Podcast.